Welcome to the Green Heart Living Podcast with your host, Elizabeth Hill. So I am very happy to be talking with Susan Hahn today, who is the founder of the Hobble Jog Foundation and a co-author in our upcoming book, Trauma to Triumph. <laughs> it's so it's so good and so good to see you today, Susan. Thank how are you? you? It's good to see you. And it's been wonderful to work with you. Well, thank you. It's been a joy to work with you too. Is there um, I'd love to hear from you what Hobble Jog Foundation is. Can you tell us a little bit about what it sure. is? Sure. I can sort of start at the here and now. Uh, we basically raise funds. There's a small group of us. We're all volunteers. We raise funds and we present grants to organizations providing post-acute care, support services for traumatic brain injury survivors. So this is sort of, this is after all the surgeries and the inpatient and all the outpatient therapies. Uh, what comes next? Um, and sometimes there's a lot of confusion about what's there and if there is anything there. And I'm one of the people who was not aware that there was anything after all the surgeries and inpatient and outpatient treatments. And, so that's basically what the impetus was um, around more people need to know that there are services and support available to survivors for the rest of their lives, if that's what's needed. And the way we chose to do this is to incorporate a nonprofit foundation that literally is all about raising money and presenting grants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I know that some people, when I first heard the word hobble jog, I went, what is that? <laughs> Can, and I love the, the way that you've explained to me where this name came from. Can you yeah, share, sure. the, you know, solve the mystery for people about where, <laughs> where the name came from? Yeah. And I even thought about, should we change that name? Because it's kind of goofy sounding. And then it was like, it. Well, wait a think about all the names out there that are goofy sounding in, in, at the start. But mm -hmm. basically, um, what happened is about two years after my accident and my TBI, I started getting back out on what I call my trail, <laughs> the Baltimore and Washington trail that I um, trained on for the very first triathlon. And really at this point, the only triathlon I participated in and literally six weeks, almost to the day after crossing that line of the, the finish line of that triathlon, I was in a very bad accident. I was walking my bike over a highway and um, I did get hit by a speeding car. And so as I did, I'm kind of bouncing around here a little bit, as I started to get stronger and started going back out on the trail, family and friends would be, oh my gosh, that's fabulous, Susan, you're back out jogging. And my response was typically something like, well, I wouldn't exactly call it a jog because I still have a limp. So I call it my hobble jog. I 
you know, and, and the point that I would make is that even though I have to hobble jog now because of the limp, I will cross that finish line. You watch mm -hmm. me. Maybe not like I once did. Maybe not like I once will again someday, but I will cross that finish line. And so while I was out on one of my hobble jogs, it hit me that when you think about it, how many of us have not had the hobble jog at some point in our lives, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, you name it. How many of us haven't had to do some hobble jogging to keep going forward and cross some finish lines? So it was on one of those hobble jogs that it hit me that there should be a way that I can take what I've learned in my own recovery and bring it to others in the way of support. So initially, it was really, it was focused on teens and young adults because I've always entered that population. That's where it started. But at one point, a good friend and board member said, Susan, when you think about it, what has been the very hardest thing about this whole recovery and what you've been through? It felt so close to home, I could barely say it. And I thought, I just can't do something that's about traumatic brain injury. And it acknowledged that I'm, I'm one of the survivors. I mean, I had a brain injury, but I said it to her. I said, the, the TBI, and she, there was silence. And I said, okay, we'll change the, mission, change the mission a little bit instead of making it supporting teens and young adults who are dealing with struggles. It's kind of like, you know, very big. <laughs> Um, description in terms of a, a mission statement. Um, so we did change it and it is focused on traumatic brain injury survivors and getting them to a point where it's beyond surviving to thriving. So that's where the name came from. It was really yeah, it. <laughs> it's eight and a half years later and I still have a limp. <laughs> um, so, you know, but that's where it came from and we got up discussed should we change the name completely um and the, we all sat around our little tiny board and everybody said no that's the name that's where it, that's what it's been you know we're not i don't think we should change it nothing we feel very good actually yeah yeah i love the name i'm very glad you didn't change it too. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I want to acknowledge you for taking something that you've been through and making this something that's helping others, right? You're really channeled that experience to be able to help other people. And I know from one thing that appealed to me about working on the book project is my years of experience in the nonprofit field of looking for gaps, looking for things that there is a need for and then trying to meet that need for the community. And that's what you are doing both as an organization and with this book, because what I learned from you and from Lori Raggio, that there, our country does a wonderful job at the, that acute care that, okay, let's save your life. Let's, let's get you through this. But if there are some gaps in these resources or even knowing what resources exist 
for that post-acute care that can take you from just, okay, we're surviving now to that thriving space, right? So, yeah. and it's been so exciting to read the stories that are in the book and get to know the different. So we have 13 different um, people, including yourself, that have people that from across the country. So all different places of people that have had um, a TBI and are now in a place of thriving of triumph and how and explaining how they got there explaining what was missing and how they had to piece it together sometimes yeah. uh so um yeah. what was it like to write your chapter what was that experience like for you do you mind sharing that with us absolutely it was um it was brutal <laughs> <That's the first laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> no, initially it was it just it it was reliving a part of my life that was very difficult to relive. As I rewrote and rewrote, as Liz knows so well, <laughs> not able to sit down and write the chapter. I had to kind of rewrite it. And as I did that, what I realized is what, how therapeutic it was for me, how unbelievably therapeutic it was. I started writing the chapter in a space where I was still hurt and angry um, mm -hmm. to some degree at people I love in my life. And uh, it is because I, <laughs> I put myself into isolation um, from the people that I love and who love me. And that it's a tough one to, to explain, but I basically went through most of the first couple of years of recovery um, totally alone. And um, the, so the therapeutic part was realizing at what point did I start to move from that hurt and that anger toward others and realize citizen. <laughs> this is about you, and this is what you asked for. Mm. You know, or meaning, for example, I didn't ask at one point when I was in one of the most depressive episodes. I asked for people to leave me alone, that I needed time, and I didn't go into much depth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who know me know I know what I want. And so, <laughs> you know, they, they honored that. Uh, and it was like, that's what she wants. That's what she needs. So we need to do that. We need to just, we need to leave her alone. Mm. And I was completely alone. When I speak about this now um, at conferences or whatever, I will say to people, if someone says, please, please, please leave me alone. I'm desperately, I'm just so depressed. Please just, my <laughs> encouragement is do not pay attention to that. <laughs> It doesn't mean, you know, you need to have the phone conversations and see each other and all of that, but don't leave somebody completely alone. Just drop a note, shoot a text thinking about you, send a card. I mean, just something. Um, so that's something that, that I learned after the fact that I mm -hmm. now help others understand who are the loved ones of individuals who are survivors. So I can help kind of coach them through what might be helpful for the person who is um, going through the healing. Yeah, and thank you for, for 
sharing that in your chapter and with us now and at, when you're speaking, because I'm sure that that is something that many people that have that have had type TBIs go through and feel compelled to say, right? And I'm sure that there are many people on the outside that want to know how to help, but don't know how to. So thank you for sharing absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, we know it as invisible. I mean, after my accident, I had a, a cast on my leg. I had casts on both of my arms and then eventually braces. I had my head from here to here split, you know, and with staples and Somebody could look at me and go, oh, my gosh, the poor kid. <laughs> she must have been bit by a Mack truck or something. You can tell she's hurting. Once the casts are coming off and the staples are gone, and all, it's invisible. Somebody looks at you. They don't know you're hurting. Mm -hmm. They don't know that you have an injury. And most people who do have the injury don't particularly want to say, um, well, I just need you to understand I, I am injured. It's, it's a brain injury. And as a result, whatever, you know, um, most of us get by or try to get by um, in some ways um, hiding that injury. They can't see it and they don't. So, you know, a lot of us figure, okay, maybe I can keep fooling them that I'm not mm -hmm. hurt. <laughs> I'm not mm -hmm. injured. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I know that you selected a portion of the chapter that you'd like to read with us today. Could you? Yeah, I would. So about a, a year and a half after the accident, um, there was a, I mean, I had files of papers and there was a police report and, you know, I started kind of going through it a little bit, very hard to do when you have a brain injury, but one of the pieces I found was the police report and on it, it had witnesses listed. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I'm just gonna call somebody on this list and just say, you were a witness. I was just wondering, because I don't remember anything about it. Um, and so um, the following, this is what is in the book, but the following is what was shared by a witness listed in the police report. The witness who was a woman said, uh, there were cars stopped on the northbound and southbound lanes of the highway. At, at the same time, people from both sides got out of their cars and started walking toward me. They didn't speak to each other as they formed a tight circle around me and started saying prayers. So none of them spoke to each other. They came from both sides up to me, formed this really tight circle, still not talking to each other, but starting to say prayers. Um, the woman told me she stepped inside the circle of people to kneel beside me and pray. She took my hand and held it, rubbing the top of it with her other hand as she prayed. She was certain she knew what inspired so many people to quietly approach me to pray. She was certain that at the same time, each person got a message and the message had come from God. Divine intervention. Um, so I'll, I'll read a little more of this because this, this kind of conveys how it is that 
anybody knew who I was. Mm, <laughs> I was mm. Unconscious. During the time I was surrounded in the circle of prayer, several people from the bike doctor, which is a, a bike uh, uh, store, and I think there are six or seven of them in the state of Maryland, ran out to see what had happened and if they could help. It was Brad, the manager of the store, who saw that my helmet and bike still had the Iron Girl race number on them. He went back to his office and searched the list of everyone who had completed the 2013 Iron Girl Triathlon. So he was the one who was able to come out and tell the police who I was, how old I was. It was all listed in the triathlon mm. information. Now, the one thing that did happen that uh, was non, not intentional, but apparently some of the people who circled me stated to the police, and of course the media was there by then in the background somewhere, that I was no longer alive. And that they were they were just the people saying the prayers, but they said no, she she passed. She's she's not alive. So the radio, the TV, print, fifty eight year old Susan Hahn, oh. dead it dead at the scene. <laughs> oh my goodness! And uh, you know, I just remember people telling me, you know, two years later, oh my God, Susan, <laughs> we all thought that was. <laughs> And now we yeah. know how the news comes about and can make some errors by yes. listening to somebody, you know, just a, somebody else. Really significant that. errors. What is that? <laughs> that quote, the rumor of my death has been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. <laughs> it's really true. I have to remember that. <laughs> wow. And, you know, there's a possibility, and I actually do believe that I did pass on. But for a short time, I was, and this is where the, the state of Maryland, and I have to I really have to give accolades for the University of Maryland Shock Trauma Center. I was medevaced um, to the Shock Trauma Center, and I was um, actually admitted to the resuscitation unit, mm -hmm. and then immediately had a number of surgeries or I could have possibly lost my leg. So I limp now, but I don't complain about it because you know what? I got my leg. Got I your leg. My leg. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for sharing this story and reading us a portion. It's just a miraculous story. I'm so glad that you're here, that you have gone on to really help so many people uh, with from this. And um, so we have the book is being published in a couple weeks and there is a hobble jog fundraiser it's virtual so anyone can attend that is on may 24th and i think you have a couple speakers at that event that are tbi survivors is that what's going on absolutely there are tbi survivors who have come a really long way and now are and both of them have written uh, more than one book the articles, done a lot of public speaking, and um, are able to convey a lot about what is it, what's it like to heal and recover from it, and what do we as the loved ones and the caregivers, um, what should we know mm. about 
being supportive to the survivors. Wonderful. So I'll put up links so that people can uh, attend, sign up to attend the event. They can also pre-order the book as well. So I'll put up the links for that. Is there anything else that you'd like people to know, Susan, before we wrap up? Yeah, that I, I would like uh, the most recent sort of blast that we put out has the bios of the two people who will be presenting um, as part of our, our mini two-person panel. And I, I, I would love for people to know who they are and why it is they might want to join us and learn from both of mm -hmm. these people. That'd be fabulous. Great, great. We can share that as well. Good. Thank you. Thank well, you. thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and today. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much. Thank you. To find out more about Green Heart Living, visit us on our website at www.greenheartliving.com and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash greenheartliving.